This episode of the Better Every Shift podcast is sponsored by The Fire Store. Learn more about getting the gear you need at prices you can afford by visiting thefirestore.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Better Every Shift podcast. I'll be your host. My name is Aaron Zamzo. I'm a fire lieutenant way up in Wisconsin, but I'm not alone in this journey on this episode. I got the commander, the editor-in-chief of Fire Rescue One, Janelle Fosquette with me. Janelle, how you doing? I'm doing great. Big show ahead. Yes, a very big show. We have uh, Chief Brian Frieders here with us, a good friend. We cherish him because he's so so, so well liked. He's got a lot of great passion. He's got a lot of knowledge. He's the president of the Firefighter Cancer Support Network. He's retired fire chief of uh, the Pasadena Fire Department. He also has some new gigs since he retired. He works EMS at a large events, large concerts. One large event was a Super Bowl, but he also gets to rub shoulders with some celebrities. You know, one that uh, a group that's playing at the Sphere, which I'm going to go see and also, just some celebrities that are around the concerts he works. Uh, Chief, you got a story about Bono? I got a great story about Bono. What a great human being. When I was at the, when they came to the Rose Bowl, I was the fire marshal of the Rose Bowl at the time. And I was standing, and when you enter, the artist enters the Rose Bowl at the state to the stage, um, they come up the tunnel where the players come out. And they walk on the right side of the tunnel, and I stand on the left side of the tunnel, making sure that nobody comes down, make sure it's clear, et cetera. And I'm the only one that does that. And when um, Bono's, when the band walked up, all of them walked up, the drummer, Edge, the bass player walked up, and then Bono was the last. And he looked up and saw me standing there and walked, and, and the tunnel is 14 feet, three inches wide. Why do I still know that? Um, and he actually stopped, looked at me, walked across the tunnel on the way to the stage, shook my hand and said, thanks for looking out for us tonight. And, and it was really a cool thing because he didn't have to do that, but it, he has such, he, and he said this in his, a lot of his, statements that he has a, an intense respect for public safety. And I really appreciate that about him. And I think that, you know, take away all the political stuff because I'm not a political guy, but the fact that he took the time to come across and do that when he's focused and concentrated on doing this enormous show, that guy just earned a ton of respect for me. And watching him play the other night in Vegas at the Sphere and seeing how well they played together and how good he still really is was phenomenal. Well, he's the ageless one, isn't he? Still totally. like only 40 years old, but he's, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah it's weird because I'm 50 something. I look like I'm 107. He's like, he's probably 170. It looks like he's 30. I'm like, what are you drinking, dude? You must be on the Zamzow fitness program. Right. Or what are you not drinking? Maybe yeah. that's the other right. question, right? right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You know, but there's, there's a huge admiration, I think. And firefighters, we see through bullshit. So, right. Like, like, you know, like, hey, was he doing that for show? No, nobody no. around. He looks around, sees somebody's got him there. Like you got, you're you're standing there to protect yeah. them as much as as you know everyone else in the stadium at that point. But you know, I I, I love that too. You love hearing stories that uh, you don't read about social media. There's no picture, but there's a lasting impression and, and memory that yeah. you know. Um, and that's that's the essence of like trying to get. There's so many people I think that do that. And that's why it's really great to tell those stories because, you know, now I like the guy even more. You yeah. Know? And look, I'll tell you the same story about Taylor Swift. She did the same thing when she was there. 
couldn't have been nicer. I mean, was very grateful that we were there to help her out. You know, her whole entourage was super great to work with Beyonce. I mean, there's so many artists that, you know, in my good fortune at Pasadena Fire was able to work with and encounter. And, and, and with the exception of a few, they were fantastic and they were so grateful. And you don't see that in the media. You always see the controversy and the nonsense. But, you know, genuinely speaking, most of the artists I've worked with and still work with to this day have just been absolutely, without a doubt, grateful for our presence and for what we do. And that's just kind of a cool thing to say about the entertainment world is it gets painted in this dark picture a lot about how horrible they are and how you know, they highlight every mistake they make and every misstep they make or every wardrobe malfunction they have. But, you know, behind the scenes, what's true is that a majority of them are really good to public safety, really, really good to, pu- to public safety. And I, and I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, the other part that we don't get, you know, sometimes as being a fan, for instance, is they have other stuff going on in their lives just like we do, right? Like there's a real, there's there's a congruency there between, you know, when you, you report to the firehouse, yeah, we got to do a job, but man, there's all these other factors that are playing into it. And I mean, celebrities yeah. are kind of, I, I, you know, I was kind of digging a little bit deep, but right, like, hey, they're there to do this job and there's still all these things that they got going on, right? Their kid doesn't listen to them either. Or their significant others didn't pick up the laundry. Like, well, maybe Beyonce doesn't have to worry about that. Like, that was a bad one. But, right? Like, no, no I think she does. Him. No, it, it's an interesting. It's an interesting nexus because you know, like firefighters, the expectation is that they're going to perform. You know, when people are paying hundreds or thousands of dollars to see a show, the expectation is that they're going to see that show and it's going to be great and it's going to be memorable and everything else. Just like firefighters, we show up to the firehouse. There's an expectation from the public that we're going to perform. We're not going to make mistakes and it's going to be 100% fantastic and maybe or maybe not memorable. That's an interesting paradox because firefighters and just like celebrities and artists all have lives. They have personal issues. They have challenges. They have trials that they're going through. Yet we're still expected to perform. And that's an incredible pressure that we put on ourselves, which is why, you know, behavioral wellness can't be overemphasized in the fire service. It's why we get sick. It's why we you know, end up killing ourselves. It's why we end up becoming morbidly obese. It's why, you know, we, we, we have this attitude, like I, the show has to go on. And it, it's, it's an interesting nexus between that entertainment world and the firefighting world, because we have to put on the show. There, there's no cancellation. There's no show stop. We have to perform 100% of the time, nonstop, regardless of what's going on in our lives. Nobody cares about that. What they care about is that fire truck shows up and helps with me with whatever problem I have. And and that's a tremendous responsibility and a tremendous burden that we encumber as firefighters, just like uh, the Beyonce's, the ushers of the world. They have to go perform. Even though it's not life-threatening, it's livelihood-threatening. And they have this image that they have to protect, this this image that we have to uphold. And unfortunately for the firefighting world, it's called, I call it invincible syndrome, where we're immune to all the other life problems because we're firefighters. Nothing can get to us. And then you next thing you know, I'm talking to a 26-year-old kid that's got testicular cancer, and he doesn't know what the hell to do next. So um, we have to deal with that. We have to recognize that and find ways around that. And we talked about leadership, but let's dig. Let's go a little deeper. Actually, you had just done some work uh, with the Super Bowl. So you do some security and some EMS with the Super Bowl. And, you know, you and I, we talk pretty extensively when we do get together just about just life in general. And we were talking about there's a there's a great kind of similarity between the Super Bowl and cancer in the fire service. 
Yeah, look, the, you know, the Super Bowl is is the amalgam of the best of the best, allegedly. The Super Bowl is is an incredible event. It there's over seven thousand people that work at the Super Bowl. I think the fact that you have to coordinate, delegate, define responsibility, perform, um, take personal responsibility for your own actions, make sure that you're prepared individually to perform the task that you've been assigned. It's no different than the fire department. It's the same thing we do in the fire department. And one person, lower high level, the, the person that's watching the tunnel at the Super Bowl to prevent somebody from running on the field, like that, that happened, when that doesn't perform well, or when that person fails, the entire operation is in jeopardy. No different than the firefighter. We, you know, we think that the chief officers, we think that the company officers are the ones that really make or break a fire scene. But really, it's not. It's, it's the firefighters who are doing the work. And when one of those firefighters doesn't do the work that's expected of them, it jeopardizes the entire operation. So it's really important for us to be able to define areas or roles of responsibilities, hold people accountable, but also instill in people the importance of the pride of ownership of being a firefighter and the importance of really making sure that you are prepared to do your job because your job matters. And a lot of times we get convoluted. And, you know, well, I don't have rank, so I don't matter. That, that's so wrong. I mean, people don't understand the importance of firefighters, just plain, simple firefighters. They are the reason why the fire department works. Not the chief, not the captain, not the lieutenant, not the battalion chief. It's the firefighters that make the fire service work and nobody else. Yeah, we're the point of contact. Amen. Thank you very yeah. much. Amen. Yeah, we, you're exactly right. <laughs> so now let's look at cancer. So you got Super Bowl where you have all of these things that um, it's a massive undertaking. A lot of people have to have to step up, right? It's the it's the boots on the ground. It's the, the that next level with communication, right? So let's let's take it to the cancer side now, which yeah. is the biggest issue. Which is why you know we're so grateful that you're here to to talk about that. But well, just in general, the fire service, of course. But you know, let's let's take now ca cancer in that same context. So let's talk about cancer and why, why does cancer still exist in the fire service? There's a ton of research coming out about why cancer exists. I think that, you know, the IARC decision was huge. You know, we know what the proximate cause is. We know that firefighting certainly can lead to cancer. There's no doubt about that. But we knew that before the IARC said that. We knew that 17, 18, 19 years ago. What, what's interesting to me is that we've known this. And for 19 years, the Firefighter Cancer Support Network has been out broadcasting, educating basically on a crusade to try to prevent and mitigate and minimize the risk to firefighters uh, of getting cancer. Yet every day, and you know, Billy Goldfeder and I talk about this a lot, you look at social media and what do you see? Firefighters being stupid, not wearing their SCBAs, not you know, smoking cigars in the back of the state. That's my favorite. You know, and, and this will be a very unpopular statement. Well, we got to have cigars in the back of the station. Okay. So let me get this straight. You want your state to have a presumptive law against cancer in the fire service, but you're okay with smoking cigars, which we know for a fact cause cancer. We're going to broadcast that on social media, just how, oh, look at it. Oh, but it's the brotherhood or the sisterhood, the collaboration. It's the smoking joke. It's, it's just the culture. That's right. The culture and the behavior is what's killing firefighters, period. And Amen. people won't like me saying that. Too bad. Don't care. You can hate me all you want, but facts are facts. Truth is truth. You don't want to hear it, then don't listen. But there's a there's a responsibility that fires have, firefighters have 
just like the Super Bowl workers, to ensure that they are doing their job. And part of doing their job is not putting out, is not just pulling hose, throwing ladders, cutting holes in roofs, et cetera. It's making sure that they're taking personal responsibility for themselves to keep themselves clean, making sure their gear's clean, making sure they're cleaning their bodies after a fire, making sure they're getting their medical exams, making sure they're wearing their actual, their SCBA during uh, firefighting operations. It, 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 and the list goes on. You know, I, I see people, you know, car fires is a big thing with me. I don't know why, but I'm on this thing with car fires. I watch people fighting car fires all the time. Like, why are you fighting a car fire 10 feet away from it? What do you, what could you possibly think is going to benefit that car from you putting it out sooner than later? I have never seen a car that was on fire restored to its full capabilities. Have you, have you ever seen a car that is fully involved in fire ever been restored to operating status ever again? I haven't. So the why Batmobile, are we risking our lives? Why are we risking our lives? Why, why, why? You know why? Because you're stupid. Now, if the fire is against a building, if there's people trapped inside, different circumstance. But generally speaking, 99% of the car fires have no one in them, maybe some stuff. They're not against the building. They're in the middle of a highway, but we're fighting them in close proximity. Why? Stupidity. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. But no one says that. No one's going to say that. No one's going to stand up and say, no, that's stupid. Why are we cutting holes in roofs when there's fire underneath our feet? Why do we continue to get on roofs, especially in, in, in the West Coast, typically? Why do we get on roofs when there's fire underneath them? When there's no one inside the house, why are you on a roof? What could you possibly do to benefit that fire by cutting a hole in a roof when the fire is seen underneath the eaves, underneath your feet? What are you doing? Why? Why do you think that when you knock the flames down and you're doing your overhaul, do you not wear your SCBA? What good could you possibly think is going to come from that? Why do you have to go back to the fire station wearing the soot and nastiness that you got from your fire just because you want to look cool? Let me tell you what you look like. You look stupid and you are stupid. And I'll be getting a phone call from you in five years and you get diagnosed with cancer. And it pisses me off because it's so blatantly obvious and people don't understand that. They want to be these heroes. They think that they're cool because they had a fire. Shut up. You're stupid. It's our, by the way, that's our job, right? Our job is to mitigate and minimize risk, right? At, at, at every single option that we can. And all the research says, wear your SCBA. That's the first thing you need to do, right? Uh, at car fires, you see a lot of times people don't wear their SCBA. You, and then if they're in a structure, you put the fire out and now you're doing overhaul, they take their SCBA off. I'm like, just keep it on. Like the, the right. And, and I, and why people are probably saying, well, why is, why does he get so fired up? Because as the head of the fire uh, cancer support network, you see and get phone calls every single day of people that are getting cancer and you, and you know, right? Like, you know, Hey, one plus two equals three. So if we can change that formula by our own actions, people aren't going to call you every single day and, and need the support. And uh, so, so for those that are listening, going, why is boy Frieders is like on a mission here. He is because yeah. he gets these phone calls. Right. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, three, or three, last week, three phone calls. Every single person last week was under 35 years old. Three. Nuts. Yeah, it's nuts. So yep. why am I fired up? Because I'm sick and tired of watching this go on. You know, there, there's so many people that are, are fighting. There's so much support. There's so many resources available. 
and and the stubbornness and the the cultural paradigm that we currently operate under in the fire service refuses refuses to let us change. And, and what's even more maddening is watching some of the folks that are wearing bugles in their collars allowing it. You know, if you're one of those folks, and, and, and if you've heard me talk across the country, you, you hear me describe the difference between bugles and plungers. There's a, a remarkable <laughs> similarity between bugles and a toilet plunger. And if you're not wearing a bugle by enforcing rules, by making sure people are safe, by, by not allowing bad behavior, then, then good for you. But if you're one of those folks that allows that kind of stuff, those things might as well be toilet plungers. They're worthless, and so are you. So I have a real problem with leadership that allows that kind of behavior to continue. I have a real problem with chiefs that stand up and talk about how they're advocating for their people, how we're going to get money to bring in these programs, and then they're not, they're not making their people conform to those programs. It's, it's unbelievable to me. You bring in, a, I know of an organization that got a $1.6 million grant for medical exams and screening for their membership. And you know how many of their 400 people actually did the screening? 19 because they thought there was some conspiracy behind all the screening and scanning. This is 10 years ago. And it was just like, you're crazy. Mind you, this department had, I think, 10 or 11 cancer cases over the course of 20 years that were significant, one of whom who died. So that kind of stuff just boils my blood. And, you know, I've been preaching this for 19 years. Um, and when I see this still 19 years later, either I'm a colossal failure, which could be true, um, or we're just not listening carefully enough. I was just thinking, you mentioned 10 years ago for that department. I'm thinking about the the change curve. I think it's like the Kubler-Ross change curve, right? Mm -hmm. Where are we on the curve right now? So a couple of years ago, we published Dirty Helmet Syndrome, a big uh, special coverage project mm -hmm. calling people out about this, right? The Dirty Helmet and the syndrome. We wanted it to be a flaw if you want to wear the dirty helmets, but where are we in making that change and getting people away from that mentality? You know, what's interesting about it, it's a good question. I don't know uh, where we're at because again, I, 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 just as I think we're making progress, um, you know, when people come to me, when we're at the shows and they, you know, and I'll use the helmet as a good example, um, this person never washed his helmet liner and he got us a, a really nasty cancer in his forehead and he had to have it excised. And he, he gave me this picture. He says, you don't know me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a picture. And, and, and I have a caption for it that I want you to use in your advertising. I'm like, okay. And it was this big, gigantic, gaping hole in his forehead. And he said, the caption I think would be appropriate for this is, you need cancer like you need a hole in the head. And it's actually a hole in his head. And it was really clever. And this was just after we went after one of the gear manufacturers for advertising a fire, their, their product with a firefighter with a dirty face all over the posters, all over one of the big shows. And we told him, I said, that's the wrong message we're sending. And, and because you're one of our sustaining partners, it's the wrong message you're sending. And they agreed. They're like, oh, didn't even think about it. You're absolutely right. So that campaign changed the way people think. You all of a sudden saw, you know, hood exchange programs come into place. You started to see people paying attention to their gear. You started seeing a bunch of um, service providers that were now cleaning gear for departments that didn't have a logistics section on their own. You started seeing all these soaps and wipes and all sorts of crap come out of the woodwork, right? Um, and so there was a there was definitely a concerted effort being made that was effective because it prompted manufacturers and product people to come and produce their products to actually perform the cleaning of the gear, whether it's helmets, turnouts, boots, gloves, whatever. 
Uh, it also prompted some interesting research to talk about what is your exposure level? How much of the soot can you actually take off during gross decontamination? How do we do gross decontamination? Um, where is this contamination going, especially in the volunteer world? You know, we, we, we talk a lot about career firefighters. 73% of the nation's fire service is volunteer yeah. and, and they carry their turnouts in the trunk of their car. Well, they're exposing not only themselves, but their families. I mean, that, that emanates into car seats, into toys, into whatever other products you have in the back of your car. So now there was this big push to get a, a plastic tub and stick your turnouts in a plastic tub. Great. Mission accomplished. Are we doing that today? I, I, I'm a member of a volunteer fire department where I live now, and I can promise you that no one has a plastic tub in the back of their car for their turnouts. That wave and that curve that you talk about has now passed. It's no longer interesting news. Now it's old news. And what's up? What are we on to the next thing? And now, you know, this PFOS thing is, is the, the front and center, everybody's attention, uh, whatever. But we have neglected what we already know and some of the mitigative measures that we put in place in the past. We, we, have, we are no longer having those in a prominent position in the conversations. We're not. Now, what I will say also is that some departments, and I would say a lot of departments are now aware of the issues with turnouts and cleaning them and exchanging them and doing all that kind of stuff. So there's been a lot of progress made there. There's been a lot of progress made with medical exams and screenings. Um, but again, as the research continues, it'll, it, it will allow us to promulgate some more programs to make it sort of the cultural paradigm and the standard for folks moving forward. You know, and you mentioned the forehead image. It makes me think of the old tobacco ads, right? With the woman who's smoking. Yep. With a hole in her throat. The, with the hole in the throat. Yeah. yeah. And you think about how long it took for the change to happen around perspectives with tobacco. Yeah. And why are we not seeing this in the exact same way? Why don't we treat this in the same way we treat tobacco? I'll tell you it why. Because, because the, the, the fire service, it, because it hasn't happened to them yet. You know, the reason that fire departments don't embrace this is because it hasn't, they haven't had to deal with it yet. You know, the reason I got involved in the firefighter cancer support network is because I had what my best friend on the job died of cancer. 90 days, he was dead. And, and this is a guy that I used to run with. We, I mean, he was as healthy as anybody. And, you know, I got a phone call, uh, drove to the hospital, found out he had metastatic brain cancer that no one knew about. Um, and 90 days later, he was dead. We're at his funeral. So, the reason that people probably don't want to address these issues and they're not important to them yet is because they haven't had to deal with it yet. And, you know, I'll use San Diego, the city of San Diego, California did a great program. And the guy's name is Curtis Bennett, who put it together. Um, it was through their relief association and uh, George Duardo, who's their uh, local 145 president was really, really instrumental in making sure that the city of San Diego really embraced all of this stuff because they saw it happening to them. They put a whole, it's, I think it was called the cap program. And really what it was, it was clean body, clean air, clean health or something like that. There was th all three clean things, clean cap. That was the other thing. And so what they did is they actually had um, a letter of acknowledgement and a letter of commitment that people would sign and say, I am going to commit to reducing my risk of cancer. And they talked about how they clean their gear. They talk about how they get their medical exams. Um, you know, there was a big thing with extractors. You know, NFPA recommendation for extractors is a joke. You, you can do the same thing with a, a industrial washing machine instead of paying $25,000 for a machine that you have to have a three inch drain and 220 run to a fire station that's 150 years old. It's not going to happen. But you can go down the street to the Speed Queen dealer, buy a Speed Queen washing machine like they use at a laundromat that has the exact same effects, maybe not as big as the extractor, and it has the same effects for 1200 bucks. That's reasonable. 
they did a whole study on that. They did this whole program and the entire city of San Diego uh, completely turned the way they thought about cancer. And, and they really pushed the cancer prevention, awareness and education programs. And, and they had a, a huge cultural shift in that department that exists even today. And that's what someone needs to do. If you're looking to do this in your department, take what San Diego did. We have all the information for you and really push it in your organization. A lot of people hear this podcast and go, I don't know even know where to begin. How am I supposed to do this in my department? That's where we come in. We can help you with that. We have the ability. We have the structure. We have the documents. We have the policy samples, all that stuff to help you implement a program in your department. And you don't have to be a flipping chief officer or company officer to do it. You can be a 15-minute firefighter and say, hey, look, here's something I really think would be good for us to implement in our department. We can help you with that. It's, it, it will make a difference in someone's life. Trust me. Well, and even so, like you can be the change maker sitting in the back seat, but eventually leadership needs to open their eyes and start holding people accountable also, because we also know in the fire service, we sometimes know what's the best for us, but we're, for some reason, we just don't think that we're, it's, it, it'll affect us. Right. I think you made a great point. Anybody who has a friend or sees a crew member or has gone to a funeral because of somebody who's died of cancer on the fire service starts to really evaluate what they're doing. But it takes that, unfortunately. So yeah. as, as you're saying, don't let it take that. If you, want, if you want to know cases, send you an email. You'll send them one every other day that you get. Um, so, but let's, let's talk a little bit. Let's go from the leadership standpoint first. To the leaders right now that are <laughs> listening to this. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I wound you up. Now I'm going to let you go, my brother. I love it. Let's, let's give a, uh, let's talk about leadership in, in cancer prevention. If, if a leader says, hey, my guys just don't listen to it. I tell them, hey, put your, their, their SCBA on or whatever, but give us some guidelines there. Um, let, let, me, let me just make this perfectly clear. There, there's no such thing as democracy in the firehouse. In other words, um, if the fire chief or the, a leader in the department who has the authority to make decisions and policy says that we're going to do this, then you do it. There's no questions asked. It, it's as simple as that. I, I, th th there's no cofactor. There, there's no there's no ambiguity in that statement. There is no such thing as democracy in the firehouse. Now, there is absolutely such thing as listening to input, considering other people's opinions, um, taking uh, advice for sure. But ultimately, the person who is wearing the, the five toilet plungers on their collar is the person who is tasked with and charged with making decisions for the department. And that person has a sole, the sole responsibility to ensure that everything that they're doing provides a safe environment for their membership, period. If someone chooses not to conform, I heard Wendy's is hiring. I heard that there's lots of great jobs down the street um, bagging groceries at the grocery store. But it's not optional. Since when do we make policies optional? And, and, and that's a problem because leaders sometimes want to be popular. They want to be the nice guy or gal. They want to be the person everybody likes. And they should be. And there's a way to do that. You know, don't be the most important commodity in the fire department is the people. It's not your resume. It's not how great you think you are. It's not how high of an opinion you have of yourself. It's the people in the organization. The fire service runs because of the firefighters, not because of the people that are running the fire department. Now, they're an important part of that. But a fire chief or a, a, someone who is charged with making policy or leading an organization has the responsibility to make sure that the people that they're working with 
are safe. And that includes enforcing policies and sometimes being unpopular. That's part of the deal. And if you're not willing to do that, disappear. Nobody needs you. Updating policies too, right? There's a lot of policies that I know departments haven't even updated uh, when it comes to everything from annual medicals to decon to, um, you know, how you will fight uh, a car fire to, you know, having your SCBA on during overhaul. You know, for a while it was, well, if the, you know, HCN level is below five, you could do that. Like even the IAFF (laughs) says, no, if it's overall, wear your SCBA, you know, it's it's really easy. So leaders also need to update to what the current conditions are saying, regardless of NFPA, right? Look around, you know, and I, and I know you guys have some, some resources too, through firefighter cancer support network, correct for leadership, like how to get these things integrated within their department and updating policies, correct? Yeah, we do. So our website has a whole library of that stuff and, and we're up, we're in the process of revamping that because we've received a lot of really good stuff from across the country. So we're updating our website as we speak, but um, yeah. And, and to your point about the leadership, you know, one of the things I tell fire chiefs and, and those that are charged with managing large organizations, you know, they say, well, what do you think the most important part of my job is? I said, the people, that's the first thing is taking care of your people, no matter what. And the second part is remaining relevant. And part of being relevant is making sure that you are doing what we're supposed to be doing, that you are, that you, your organization has the industry best practices, that they have the equipment necessary to perform their tasks, that they're being giving opportunities to thrive, um, that you have a plan in place that when you disappear or you retire, that you've got someone that's going to take over and, and implement the same things that you're doing. You know, there's a tremendous responsibility at the top and it's a very lonely job. I know that because I did it for 11 months and seven days. and It was the worst 11 months and seven days of my life. However, it's important to recognize that if you're irrelevant, if you're old school, if you're not thinking the way that the current contemporary fire service is thinking, then you're lost and, and you're not going to be able to fix that until you decide to come out of your shell and look around and say, oh, maybe we should start doing this. There's, there, there's, I feel there's a, a mandate that should be given to every fire chief officer uh, or anybody that's wearing uh, bugles of any kind that even though you're in that position, you may be comfortable you have to remain relevant, which means you have to stay up to date on what's going on. And I know there's a ton of research out there that's going on about, especially about cancer in the fire service. How do you do that? Um, well, here's a, here's a way to do that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug the, the Science Alliance, uh, or we call it Science of the Station. It's Sarah Janke's group. And what they're doing is they're all scientists and all of them are taking all that information that they're getting from relevant, tangible, validated, peer-reviewed journals and, and, and putting that in a manner that firefighters can understand, that we can use to implement change, policies, equipment, whatever it is, and, and distributing that amongst the fire service. That is the nucleus of relevant, tangible, and legitimate information that you're not going to find in any other organization. It's the Science Alliance or the Science of the Station. Um, it's all of the fire department researchers that are studying cancer, sleep, behavioral wellness, nutrition, fit all of it. I know, Aaron, you're part of that. Um, but that is really such an incredible resource for everyone to go to when they're looking for validation and justification as to why do I have to build the station this way? Why do I have to have a second set of turnouts? Why do I need to have a clean cab? Here it is. Here's the research. Here's why. Why can't we burn OSB in training towers anymore? Here's why. Here's the reproductive implications of that. Here's why the shift work that we're doing could be impacting our sleep and our overall health wellness. 
Here's why we do medical exams annually. Here's why you get a colonoscopy at 40 and not 50 like the rest of the doctors want you to do. Here's why you tell your occupational doctor, I need to have a PSA test done. I need to have blood work done. I have a high proclivity for getting cancer and other diseases because of my occupation. This is why we need this. Here's the justification. Here's the research. Here's what I need. Help me do it. Um, yeah. All that stuff is is really well, to, and, and we're part of that group. I, I can't say enough good things about it. They're doing such great things, but it's really translating what all that research means in science nerd speak into, oh, crayon firefighting. Oh, got it. Okay, now I understand what you mean by that. Yeah, you and I are on the, the board for that, and we're the crayon fire department application side. 100%. Of that. And, yeah, they, and they, listen, let me, let me make it clear. I'm pretty dumb, and I'm good with that. And I think that the reason they asked me to be part of that, because because I'm dumb, I can understand if I understand it, that's a pretty good benchmark that most three-year-olds will be able to figure it out. Well, brother, you and I are the same thing. Simon Kinnick said, I love being the idiot in the room, which 100%. I typically am because I'm going to ask the questions. Right, uh, right. As a firefighter out on that truck, I know, or as a fire lieutenant on that truck, what is this, what does this research mean to me and how can I apply it? And you know, I, I, there's the trifecta out there. There's Firefighter Cancer Support Network. There's Science to the Stations or Science Alliance. And then there's FRCE, First Responder yeah. Center for Excellence through National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. Those three organizations, which you and I are very fortunate to be involved with, are taking the data, right? If there's a data chief listening, we're taking the data and applying it and reevaluating if it's working or not. And I implore anybody to look at those and then try figure figure out what works for you and then share it share it through this podcast share it with chief readers share it with his organization the more we share the more we know and the better we'll be and that's the leadership side of it let's go to the individual now right mm -hmm. hey there's pfas in my gear i don't want to wear it for training you know same person has a big chaw in their mouth and they're chewing tobacco I'll just leave it at that and let you go from there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was going to get, it goes back to the cigar thing. You know, I, I, I took a bit of a beating. I, I did a, uh, I did a presentation. I think it was somewhere in the Southeast uh, where tobacco and, you know, chew is just a way of life. I mean, I think you're born with that. Um, and I, I said something about chewing tobacco and I said, you want to make yourself very unpopular. Why, why are we chewing tobacco? Why do we allow smoking in the station? Why do we allow people to chew tobacco? in the fire station when we know for a fact it causes cancer. And if you'd like me to send you a list of people that I've spoken to that have esophageal and oral cancers as a result of that, I'd be happy to do so uh, because there's a ton of them. And the response, and they were mad. They were mad at me like, well, you know, I've been doing this for 30 something years, just the way it is. Well, great. Then you take the risk. It goes back to that personal responsibility thing. You know, how much is your life worth to you? You know, I, I've posed that question millions of times. How much is your life worth to you? Every time you take that SCBA face piece off during overhaul, you should be thinking about your family because you're probably not going to be around to see them for much longer. Every time that you put that cigarette in your mouth, every time you put that wad of crap in your mouth and chew it, every time that you, you know, drink your 15th beer or the night, think about what you're doing. Every time that you walk around your, your fire station with dirty turnout gear, think about your family. Think about the people you're working with because it's inevitable that you're going to get cancer. We know this. It, it, it's not theoretical. This isn't, this isn't hypothetical, theoretical jargon. This is factual information, period. So how much is your life worth to you? How much? How much is it? Because I'd like to know. 
Yeah. That's and, the question and, I would pose. And then you think, well, presumptive law will take care of my family. Kepra Jack was um was was talking at Science Alliance saying, hey, a lot of the now like they're they're testing for tobacco and nicotine within systems and yeah. within people's body systems. And you they're not be out of your mind if you think that all this money that they're gonna shell out for presumptive legislation. You don't think that some smart attorney who's going to make a name for himself isn't going to go take photographs of you and your friends smoking cigars, acting like morons, chewing tobacco, being behaving like fools, all because and risking your risk of and increasing your risk of cancer. You don't think that attorney is going to show that in, in a legislative conference and go, why are we paying for cancer for this individual? Because this is their lifestyle. The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision we make as a company is about you, our customer. We wouldn't be where we are today without you, and we don't take that lightly. We understand that having the right gear can mean the difference between life and death. Our goal is to get you the gear you need, when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit us at thefirestore.com for everything but the truck, and shop our family of brands, including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. Now let's get back to the show. Same thing with news you or, or YouTube. You're on YouTube standing in a, in a burnt, burnt house fire with it still smoking and smoldering and nobody's got their SCBA on in the middle of this room. Yeah. You, know my, you know, my favorite part of that is there, there was a chief and I won't name who it is because it's, it's not nice to do that. There was a chief who actually posted on Facebook photos of him in the doorway of a, a house fire they just had. No SCBA wearing his hat or his helmet and his turnout coat. That's it, nothing else. And I'm thinking, huh, you're a pretty popular guy and you're taking pictures of that and you're posting them? What are we missing here? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I think, you know, and, and going back to the personal responsibility thing, you know, it's not just cancer we're talking about. You know, there's the sleep issues. There's the overall nutrition. I mean, all of these are cofactors in the disease process. We know that. Again, not a theoretical discussion, a factual discussion. We know that nutrition, good nutrition, sleep, and overall wellness contributes to your overall health. So if we know that poor nutrition, obesity, excessive drinking of alcohol, poor sleep patterns all contribute to cancer and disease, why is it we're not changing that? Why is it you're not changing that? Why? We know this. We're very fortunate for as firefighters because we are, are oftentimes given a lot more information than the general population. We, we get more details on overall health and wellness because of the jobs that we do, because it's a very difficult job mentally and physically. So we're, we have sort of an exclusive right almost to a lot of information that not a lot of people get, yet we still continue to ignore it. As firefighters, we have to embrace all of those good habits, eating well, not drinking excessively, getting good sleep, making sure you're getting your medical screenings. It's the total package. It's not just about cancer. It's about the total health package. And you've got to be the total health package in order to be a successful firefighter, period. And I'll tell you something else. If you're not willing to do that, go find another job. Yeah, because cancer will find you. Heart no disease doubt. will find you. Diabetes will find you. The stress alone of the job and then you add this just the general stresses of society make us already at this this high risk you take out even the hazards of of the smoke uh you know the trauma uh, and 
just just in general, right now you throw all that stuff together, it is a um, it is a really bad equation, especially if you're not managing your health on your side. I think that's the frustration I sense, and you and I have had these great conversations. Is look right now, can we do anything about the PFAS in the gear? No. What we can do is focus on our own self care. Focus on being the example of wearing your SUVA all the time. Anytime yeah. you're near the, the stuff, just wear it. You know, I love it because I, I think it's a good workout. I'm kind of crazy like that. But uh, it, well, it's like the guy in San Diego said, you know, you, you think an SCBA is heavy during overhaul? Try chemotherapy. Yeah, losing a kidney, um, you know, having to be um, sterile because you just lost your prostate. I mean, pick, there, there, there's, there, you know, having children that have birth defects because of your exposure to carcinogens in uh, as a training captain. I mean, because you didn't wear your SCBA during your flashover training, you thought you were cool. So you didn't bother to do that. Now, all of a sudden, um, your children have reproductive issues. It, it's just unbelievable. You know, it, if people aren't scared, you know, and, and look, the, the, the argument always is, well, you know, this is what we signed up for. It's just a risk we take. Yeah, there, there's a lot of risk that we take, but there's a lot of risk that we don't have to take. Well, you look at NFL. We just talked about the Super Bowl. Look what the NFL is doing. They're saying, hey, we're going to give you better equipment. We're going to change the rules of the game mm -hmm. to help keep it healthy. Now we know the nature of their game is not necessarily uh, conducive to, you know, longevity for more than 10 years, unless you're Tom Brady and you just do it forever, right. I guess, but they're changing the rules and they're, they're, they're holding their members accountable for that change. And now I think where we are in the fire service is we have the data. We know what we should be doing. And it's up to each individual now to say, just start doing the right thing. Yeah. Do the freaking right thing. You know, uh, we, we say this, you know, uh, doing that and, and paying close attention to that makes a tremendous difference in, in your outcome. When, when you pay attention to what's going on and you embrace those things and you understand the risks that are involved in, and you, you divert yourself from those, are you 100% immune? No, you're not. But you certainly have a significantly less chance of getting this deadly diabolical disease and having to go through the, these unbelievable challenges that cancer survivors have to go through. I could talk for six hours about some of the challenges that I've had to be in. And what's sort of gratifying for me is that, you know, we're right by their side when this happens. You know, the, the Firefighter Cancer Support Network prides itself on having that badge to badge support. We have a member uh, that gets diagnosed. We pair them up with somebody that has had a similar cancer so they can kind of walk them through their journey and help them out. Um, and, you know, there's nothing better than getting, you know, when we were in Arizona at the Science Alliance, um, a guy from Maricopa said, hey, you don't know me, but I used your, your organization to get me through my cancer. And he said, I just have to tell you face to face. I came here to talk to you and tell you that your organization made a tremendous difference in my outcome. And it, it, it's the only reason I survived. Uh, it's the only reason I got through it. And, and he walked away. And I thought, that's unbelievable. You know, to hear that, it, it's an incredible sense of satisfaction and gratification that you get. But I wish I didn't have to. You know yeah. what I mean? I wish I yeah. didn't have to talk to people. I wish, and that's, I wish we were in a, in a place where we didn't have to do that anymore. And I want to emphasize that too. Like your organization is there to help members of the fire service when they do have cancer, when they do get this diagnosis. I've heard numerous stories in these conferences of people that you guys have helped. And thank you for that. You guys are doing a, a great job. But your passion comes from the fact you want to put your, your organization out of business. Totally. I said that when I took over as a president, what, 12, 13 years ago, I said, my goal is by 2020 that no one has ever heard of the Firefighter Cancer Support Network. That it's a thing. Of the, it's one of those things. Oh, yeah, I remember that from the 80s. 
I would love to be out of business. I would love for the organization to just absolutely go away because there was no more need for it. Unfortunately, that has not been the case. In fact, we're, we're about 110% busier than we were last year. We've had more calls for service in the first 60 days of 2020 or this last 60 days than we had the entire 20, 2023. So that's pretty scary. We, we've had literally in the last 60 days, we've had almost a hundred and some calls for service um, to help out firefighters that are diagnosed. It's, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. I'm thinking about our listeners right now. And for the folks who are listening to a show called Better Every Shift, they're probably doing the right thing most of the time. How are we reaching the people? I, I see you, Aaron. I see you. Maybe not. Maybe not doing the whole thing in terms of the totality of the of health, but they're probably on a path of some kind. But how do we reach the people who are not? They just don't even have this on their radar. If you're if if you're not aware of what's going on with cancer in the fire service, I, I'm not sure what rock you've been living under, but get out of it. <laughs> this goes back to the relevant thing. You know, I, I made a big, I made, you know, my last sermon on leadership was about how to remain, that you have to remain relevant. That, that has, that translates to the firefighters as well. If you're not paying attention to what's going on and you're not becoming a master of your craft, you're irrelevant. You, you have to know what's going on. And, you know, what, what we've really tried to do recently is infuse these programs, the Cancer Prevention and Awareness Program into the academies a lot of the state fire curriculums are adopting this. Texas, for instance, Mike Wisco down in Texas, who's just a great advocate for firefighters and firefighter health. He is requiring and mandating every firefighter in the state of Texas by the end of this year to have the cancer awareness and prevention class done um, and, and a certification given to them to ensure that they all are aware of it. So there's a great example of excellent leadership in the great state of Texas. I'll tell you the other thing that's really important in advocating for this and making sure people are aware of it is the labor management relationship. And this applies to career departments. Anybody that's in a fire chief's position that doesn't realize how important a good labor management relationship is, is an idiot. As I said before, the reason the fire department is successful is not has nothing to do with the fire chief. It has everything to do with its membership and the members and the firefighters. So having a good labor management relationship and being able to push this information out collaboratively and effectively, that's what gets people on board. That's what gets people, keeps them safe. And that's what gets innovative things happening with the organization. So I think the labor management relationship can't be overemphasized. I think that the opportunity to get information and the training out, you know, our organization has a free firefighter cancer education and awareness program. It's grant funded that we can come to your organization and, and give you the class and train your people how to be trainers so they can train your own staff. Um, we, we do that for you for free. We're happy to do that so that we get the information out. And that's how Texas adopted this principle is we went to Texas and showed them, here's the class. We gave them the class. We trained about 15 or 20 people in Texas. Curtis Dunn and his team were able to go out and, and advocate this all across the state. And next thing you know, it's a state mandate. Florida, same thing. Julius Hallis, who was the Florida fire marshal, was a huge advocate to ensure that firefighters were getting everything they needed to protect themselves from cancer. The leadership in California with Brian Rice at CPF, they've really, 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 really done a good job of advocating for firefighter cancer uh, presumption laws to make sure that they are getting all the information and the education they need. And also another key part of that is the reporting part. 
And, and I want to talk about the National Firefighter Registry, uh, because that really is the next iteration of where we're going and what we need to do next. A lot of states have really good models of what they've done to implement some of these changes so that if you haven't heard about it, um, there's resources available to you to push out so that you know what's going on and how we can make you relevant. Yeah, get and we'll leave that link in the uh, show notes for that as well. Yep. And, and yeah, that was one of the the, the follow ups that we wanted to do is is to make sure that you know individually there's stuff that we could do as department, there's stuff that we can do as a state, as yep. uh, a union, um, yep. as people that support um, you know unions and support firefighters and first responders. Like we we're all should be aware of this. And you know, so Janelle's question, I think though we all should be looking in the mirror and figuring out where we can get a little bit better, you mm -hmm. know? And, and I, I think, you know, first you can look at, well, how, how do you respond? You know, am I wearing my SCBA and I'm a, am I looking around me and saying, Hey, get out of there. You don't have your SCBA on. It's like, it's overhaul. Get out of there. We know what's going on in there from a yeah. chemical standpoint should have your SCBA on. Let's pull people out as a chief, as a safety officer, you should be hollering at people like that yeah. and taking that, that, that responsibility as safety officer is their safety, not only now, but down the road, because that's where we're seeing it. And I think individually, we can all always work on improving our health. And Chief, you and I have had these great in-depth conversations about this. So like, I just want to include the listeners, which is why it's so awesome that you're here with us, because you, you've been living that basically your whole career, and you've been preaching that through the cancer awareness and through the firefighter cancer support network and through the things you do with science Alliance um, and the things you do with leadership training saying, look, take responsibility. There's things that we can all do. We can all look in the mirror. We can all get a little bit better. And hopefully then that branches out and, you know, an undertaking like doing EMS for the super bowl seems like a big task mm -hmm. undertaking, you know, reducing cancer in the fire service is the same, but it starts, with the individual people on the, on the field or in the field in this case, and it works its way all the way up. And I think this is a great full circle podcast that we've had, um, chief. And I love getting you fired up too. And you go, man. You, <laughs> it's not very so, difficult, is it? You're so passionate though, but I really want to emphasize this. Yeah. Why you're so passionate is because you're going to hang up from this and you're probably going to get a call from somebody who had cancer huh? and you, you love helping those people yeah. and, and it, and it fills your heart. Yep. But the other side of you, it's like the Jekyll and Hyde says, let's see if we can help prevent it. Right. And, and some things are inevitable, but can we, are we doing everything we can and you know, we can do better. Yeah. I, I think for me, and thank you for those kind words, you know, I mean, I retired three years ago and I, I, for me, I've never left the fire service because I feel as, you know, I would say it's a calling, but maybe not, but you know, clearly God put me where I am for whatever reason and fair enough. I accept that there's, there's just no greater sense of satisfaction for me than being able to be that person that's there for somebody else, you know, being there in the darkest hour of someone's life and saying, Hey, we're here. We got you. We're going to walk this with you. You're not alone. And, and so I guess it's personal, you know, and, and to me, it's an incredible sense of satisfaction and gratification that, you know, that what we're doing is good. It's helping somebody get through those times. And when, most people that wear that badge have made the commitment to really help others. And, and that's your goal in life is to help others. And, you know, you, you listen to these kids that come through the interviews and they say, oh, I just want to help others. Well, what does that mean? And, and I think I've been able to define what that means over the years a lot. 
And so for me, um, being that, that point of contact for someone and knowing, and knowing that they know they have a place to go if something goes wrong is really, really incredibly personally satisfying to me. Then the other side, the, the, the Jekyll and Hyde part of that is, but then I see the outcome of bad behavior and it makes me want to slap people. Um, sometimes I wish I was an octopus so I could slap eight of them at one time. Go, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Do you do you? Because I just listened to what happens if you do this, and you don't even know that. And that's why I get passionate about it. That's why I've been accused of being harsh. Good, um, because I can be, and I don't. I could care less if you like me or not. But what I will, I will not stand for is for someone not to know the facts. I will not stand for someone who is deliberately risking the lives of others because of of their incompetence or their inability to understand the importance of the people that they serve. I will not allow people to say a word otherwise that, that refutes the, the absolute facts that cancer is killing firefighters on a regular basis. If you're not interested in hearing that, then shut your ears off and get out of my, just get out of my way because I'm not going to listen to it. And don't think for a second, I'm not going to call you out. All these so-called leadership experts that charge all this money to go speak at these conferences and talk about how bad they are and how great they were in, in whatever department they worked for and how many fires they fought. And you need to just jump off the truck and go make your rescue and not even care about personal safety and not even care about blah, 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 blah. Not interested, dude. You're a blowhard and nobody cares. Not interested in hearing it. What I want to hear is that how you're taking care of your people, how you make sure they're safe and how you're accomplishing the job of being a firefighter, period. That's what I want to hear. And you can take your $5,000 and shove it up your ass because nobody's interested in hearing your old school bullshit about how nothing works anymore and how cancer isn't an issue. Yes, it is. I've heard it. I've listened to it. I had to take the calls. I've watched people die in front of my face. It's personal. And your leadership expertise isn't even close to reality. Yeah, because you can do both. You can still get in there and make that rescue. Of course you can. Look, you, 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 there's going to be times where we have to do that. I get that. Yeah. But every time, and, and, and then you, you know, then you talk about how great you are and you know, all these, and again, uh, this is going to be another tangent, but I'm so sick and tired of watching the headliners at these shows and what they're talking. About. I'm like, what do you talk? Not, none of them talk about cancer, you know? And, and I actually busted Bobby Holland's chops on this because he was up there with two of his colleagues um, and they were talking about, you know, firefighting. And, and one of them made a comment like, oh, yeah, this cancer thing. Look, you know, if, you, if that's what you signed up for, if you're not going to do it, if you're not willing to take the risk, then you probably should have thought about doing something else. And I, and I was in the audience listening to that guy say that. And I was and I was I was standing up and I was I was put back in my seat by a good friend, turns out, because I was going to go up there and just ruin this guy in front of 1500 people. Uh, and I didn't. And I, and I talked to Bobby about it afterwards. I said, you know. I got to tell you something. I have a lot of respect for you. And I know that you're a big fan of the cancer network and you're a good friend of mine. You always have been. I said, but that is not okay. He goes, I got it. I handle it. And he says, I saw you getting up and I appreciate the fact that you sat back down because uh, I was livid because what that says, you know, a lot of people listen to some of these guys as like, they're the Messiah. Like they're the God, God sent them to the fire service to tell them how great the fire service is. And, and, and they listen to them. And that's a dangerous position. If you're one of those people that's on the stage advocating and making these statements, be very careful what you say, because you could unwind a lot of really good work that's been done and, and filter things that are really important that people are going to listen to that you're saying that make no sense and have nothing to do with the contemporary fire service. That scares yeah. me. Yeah, but it's like, it's like Instagram. Know, I'm I have trying to no get likes. problem calling yeah. them out. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're not all about the likes. You're about the substance. hundred percent. And that's why I love having you on. And I think, you know, you're not saying don't do your job. You're just saying actually do your job, do yeah. your job the way you're supposed to wear your SCBA, get proficient yeah. in your gear, clean your gear, do those things you're supposed to do. Right. Doing your job. Part of doing your job is doing your job. Right. Boom. I'd have you say mic drop on that, but we actually got more questions for you. Okay. Go. <laughs> All right. Janelle has them here. We call it the hot seat questions, but bring uh, it. You know, perfect segue, by the way. Bring it. Get better at this. So, Brian, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing the fire service today? Is it cancer? Is it something else? It's culture. It's culture. We have forgotten about my, my, I think the most important and the, the most prominent issue in the fire service is that we have forgotten the importance of the firefighter. We've forgotten how important the firefighter's role is in the fire service. We're focused on everything else, but we're, we're not focusing on making sure that our firefighters are taken care of. We're, we're more concerned about acronyms after our names. We're more concerned about how we're going to boost our resumes. We're more concerned about selling products. We're more concerned about how innovative this procedure, this protocol, this, this practice is. And we're forgetting about the center of, and the focus of the firefighter. That's the problem. We're focusing on everything else, but we're not focusing on the wellness and the, the well-being of the firefighter, which is what makes the fire service tick. Amen. I've said that amen a lot. And again, this, this is the part, and, and this is sort of where my, and this is my, this is my perception of leadership. I've said this once, I'll say it again. I'm not a very smart guy. I, I, I accept that I'm good with that. But what I am is a staunch advocate for my people, because I believe that in your, when you're in a position like I was, the most important thing I could do is stay out of people's way, do what I need to do to advocate for them, assemble good teams of people, make sure that they feel as if they're empowered to do good things because what you're trying to accomplish in you, in my mind, they're going to accomplish something way better than I ever dreamed of. And they're going to do it more efficiently. As long as I stay out of their way, give them guidelines, give them boundaries, but allow them to thrive. Let people do their thing because they're they're The generation of firefighters we have today are, are so smart and they're so in tune. They just need to understand the importance of taking care of each other. That's the thing we're missing. Yeah. They also need to, we need to give them responsibility because they totally. are smart, you know? Uh, yeah. And that's a challenge, right? That's a challenge as leadership is to step aside and let your people do the work. But I think you, you hit it right in the head. Tell them what you want. Let them go do their job. Yeah. 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 Don't, don't micromanage them. Give them benchmarks for success and, and allow them to be successful. Get out of their yeah. way. Well, speaking of challenges, what's the biggest challenge you've overcome lately? Me is my own well my own wellness. Just to be straight, I have undertaken a few extracurricular activities in the form of work, doing some big concerts, big festivals for some of the big artists. And it has caused me to not pay attention to fitness and to wellness as much as I did when I was working. It has allowed me to get to a point where I am not sleeping as well as I should be. I'm not eating as well as I should be. And it took its toll. So about a month and a half ago, made a big change and we're back on track and it's good. And I feel refreshed and I feel good. I had a family member that was diagnosed with breast cancer. My mother-in-law was diagnosed with breast cancer. So that was a challenge just last year. I'm just trying to navigate that. And it's really hard when it's your own family because, you know, I'm always the, the cheerleader. Like, hey, it's going to be great. There's a lot of good stuff happening and blah, blah, blah. And having to do that for my own family member was was hard because, you know, it's my wife's mom and, you know, they're very close and she's a great human being. 
So it was tough on my wife, tough on my family. So trying to juggle that was a bit of a struggle. But again, I'm a God guy. I'm a faithful guy. I know that this is all part of the plan. I understand that. I'm good with that. But I also know that it has an emotional toll. And we were able to talk about that. And we were able to, to bring that to the table and go, look, um, I know there's a lot of emotion going on here. Let's talk through that. And we did. And I think it was really helpful in her journey as a survivor. And it was also helpful from the family member's perspective to kind of like, okay, we got an advocate here. But it was super gratifying to be able to talk to her doctor and go take notes with her at her appointments, like I tell all the other survivors to do. Um, I was a note taker, so I heard everything. And we were able to ask questions. And I, you know, she said to me when she rang the bell, she goes, one of the things that I remember most about my journey is when you sat there and listened and, and, you, and, and the look in your face when it was, you know, you had a good positive look in your face when you were taking notes that this was going to be okay. And she goes, and I knew I was going to be okay. I'm like, wow. I mean, that's, that's so, that's so prophetic for me. So yeah, that's, that's been, that's been a bit of a challenge for me in my world, but I'm happy to say she's doing well. We're a year and three months into it. So, so far so good. Wow. And what a great experience for you to now transfer onto other people. Well, you know, I had, I had a little skin cancer. I had dug out of my nose uh, this year. So now I, I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not necessarily calling myself a cancer survivor, but it was, it was growing pretty good. So um, that was scary. So I had a little personal experience with that, uh, which is interesting. And now having my family member dealing with cancer, I feel, I feel like it puts me in a more credible position with the organization um, because now I understand. So glad you came through with the cancer, but how are you working to get better? Yeah. You know, for me, it was really easy once you retire to let fitness become secondary. And, you know, my whole life I've been athletic. I've always done, I've always played sports. I played football, baseball, played ice hockey, you know, my whole life. And, you know, when I promoted to chief, it was different because now you're in an administrative role, you're not at the fire station. So it's a lot less convenient to go and exercise because you don't have, you know, the fire station to work out of. But during that time, we would make a commitment to staying. We'd go to the Rose Bowl. We'd jog at least two or three days a week. You know, we ate reasonably, maybe not the best, but we ate reasonably. We had a, a good degree of fitness. I still participated in the annual physical fitness uh, standard exam. So that was good for me. But, you know, once you retire, you kind of let it go by the wayside. And then, you know, transitioning into a new location where we live now in Nashville, not really knowing anything, some different weather for sure. It kind of went by the wayside and then getting busy as we all do with my new job, uh, doing the concert stuff. And then obviously with the stuff I'm doing for the firefighter cancer support network, which requires a lot of travel, it's very easy to let that go. And I did. And so back on track, back in a fitness program, I will say that Aaron, your program is great. I, I, I will be, I would be lying if I said I adopted all of those things, but the 30 minutes a day, the hour of just chilling out and taking time for yourself the eating well, the intermittent fasting idea that you gave me, super helpful. And just, I, I think that the key to that is the time, just making time to pay attention to your own wellness is such an important part of my life. And as busy as I am and the million phone calls I have to take during the day, carving out that 90 minutes a day for me has been really, really cleansing. So it's been really good for me. And it's reflected. I had a treadmill done the other day, totally normal. So that's been great for me, both mentally and physically. I, for, I forgot how mentally cleansing fitness is. You know, a lot of people think it's just about your aesthetics and your physicality, but really it's that that mental wellness that comes from, from being fit and exercising. I, I, I forgot how much of a stress relief that really is. It, yeah. it, and so that's been really, that's been really good for me. 
it's one of those side side effects that you, that people don't realize until uh, I always say you're hooked now because you realize that you can you can yeah. draw you know the 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 correlation between when I work out I'm I'm more you know relaxed I'm in more control I think better I have a clearer head yeah. you know and and that's the hard part about getting people to do things for themselves I, same thing with some of the cancer things that we were talking about some of the preventive you don't necessarily see how wearing my SCBA helps me, you know, other than 10, 15 years down the line, or even five years down the line, you don't get cancer. And that's why we just need to keep preaching what your message is to people. Look, you can prevent cancers. Let's get Brian Frieders out of business. Let's take the firefighter cancer support network out of business from the standpoint of we don't have to talk about cancer in the fire service because we're doing everything we can. Now, granted, there'll still be cases, right? We, we know that. But when we're working and taking action every single day from a leadership standpoint, which you are a big proponent of, look, if you're a leader listening to this right now, look at your policy, look at your organization and start setting the tone for preventing cancer. If you're a firefighter down on the line, look at your crew, look at yourself, take time for yourself, which is what you just reiterated, how important that is. And, and, and take care of each other, right? Like be the jerk that says, put your SCBA on, you know, clean your gear, be that jerk, because you know what, that's what being a brother and being a sister is. And that's what I, I love about you, right? Like that is what you, that's what you exemplify. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm probably not a great example of any of that, but I, there's a lot of people that are. And I, and I think there's a I think there's a lot of good fire chiefs out there that are doing good work. I think there's a lot of good organizations that are doing a really good work. And, you know, you mentioned the FRCE. They're doing fantastic work as it relates to the education piece and advocating for firefighters. Um, you know, obviously we're doing what we're doing. And then, you know, there's, there's you know, the Miami folks are doing a great job. Uh, but, you know, guys like Jeff Burgess and University of Arizona mm -hmm. and their partnership with Tucson Fire and John Galata. I mean, they're doing such good work down there. And, and you know, Denise Smith with the cardiovascular things and, you know, Frank Lito with his behavioral wellness stuff. There's so many people that are doing good things for firefighters. The resources are out there. The, the information is available. If you're a fire chief and you're wondering, what am I doing? Take a look in the mirror and ask yourself, well, what am I doing to advocate for the wellness of my firefighters? What, what am I? I mean, what are what are the list the five things you're doing in your department that are are making sure your firefighters are safe and that they're well? And the other thing I'll add to that, Aaron, just in the in the wellness piece is the exams, the manual exams. I can't overemphasize the importance of screening and early detection. You know, Detect Together has done some good work on just self-recognition of symptoms, you know, self-exams especially breast cancer, testicular cancer, a lot of things that if you don't feel right, you know your body better than anybody else. You know, don't try to be a hero, get it looked at. And again, because of the job that we do, it, you're going to have a higher opportunity to get cancer and other diseases. But just the last thing for me is just take care of yourself. I mean, I asked you how much your life is worth to you. How much is your life worth to you? Take 60 minutes, take 90 minutes a day for yourself. Be an advocate for you. You can be an advocate for a lot of other people too, but be an advocate for you. Don't forget you. You're an important part of this equation. I couldn't have said it better myself, Chief Brian Frieders. We we love you here on the show. Thank you for for being here. If you are listening to this on our podcast, you should hop over to our YouTube channel. Either one, because you're going to see just how passionate he is about you know, not only cancer in the fire service, just about being better, working on on self improvement and leadership and 
his passion is it's culpable. It's, it's contagious. So please you hop over, watch that on the firerescue1.com. You can go to the better every shift banner. You can watch all of our podcasts, please rate and review them. Let us know if we're on something or onto something. You can email us at better every shift at firerescue1.com chief. So many words of wisdom. Appreciate all of your insight. God, I love your passion. I hope that all of our listeners take something from this. And uh, most importantly, we want to make sure that you learn something, do something, and share something to make you and those around you better every shift. Thanks for listening, everybody.